Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Rafer, and joining me as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's going on? Not much. It's good to talk to you. It feels like it's been quite a long time. Uh, yes. I'm not used it's, to... It's been a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah. We, we actually missed a recording. Um so, yeah, it's good to be talking to you again, Chris. We did. Uh, we, we missed recording last week, largely as a result of, uh, uh, among sort of a confluence of other things, but adventures in puppy parenthood um, <laughs> that have been, uh, like, overwhelmingly rewarding and excellent and great. Uh, Jerry is a very good boy. Um, but as it turns out, when we were going to record last week uh, was maybe a little bit of a exception to that and actually tonight kind of an exception to that so uh jerry has decided he does not like the podcast as much maybe he he listened to that first episode as he was here uh and just a newbie uh in the household decided nah, not to his liking and so um yeah he's decided to be a, a little bit of a factor we're gonna get he's he's out on a walk right now so we're gonna we're gonna see if we can get as much of this in before uh before the otherwise very good boy but let's shall we say occasionally mischievous uh <laughs> puppy gets back to the apartment um let's do th- spend that time talking about the portland timbers and the portland thorns both of whom uh were in chicago this last weekend playing back-to-back games at toyota stadium i can never remember which one is toyota stadium or toyota field but it's one of the toyotas i think it's toyota park toyota park right yeah one of the toyotas nonetheless i think the timbers by the way have had back-to-back toyota uh away venues uh but nonetheless at the toyota place uh where they came away i think you know on the whole you'd have to say with pretty good results uh the timbers drew 2-2 uh with the chicago fire the the thorns of course won 3-2 over the chicago red stars uh and and so i think the trip to bridgeview as a whole uh was pretty positive uh for the city of portland let's start though with the timbers let's start with our predictions Jamie, you called a 1-1 draw and a Diego Chara goal. I called a 2-1 win for the Timbers. Man, that was close. Uh, with the Samuel Armenteros late winner. That wasn't super close, I guess. Uh, Jamie, go ahead and give the points. How, how are you going to distribute them for, for this? Well, I got the result right. Um, not much else. And you got nothing right. So, I, I mean, are you making a case that you deserve points on this? No. No. All right. Okay. I mean, I, so I got the, I got the Timbers two goals. So if I were to get a a, a, a smattering of points, it would be for that. But I, <laughs> I, I don't think it would be more than a smattering of points. I'll give you one point That's for fair. for what for what the Timbers can only seem to get in the games they play. Right. Um. And I'll give myself. I, I got the draw right. I'll I'll give myself seventeen points. Ooh, that's a lot of points for calling a draw, but. <laughs> Well, you you were the one given the given the, the power to distribute the points, and so <laughs> it stands, uh, notwithstanding my accusation that you were overly <laughs> generous to yourself. Um, uh, so, what do you think coming out of this one? What's the stronger emotion that Timbers fans should have? Uh, disappointment in the result in losing the late lead, the late two one lead that would have given me lots of points. Uh, that, of course, is the reason for the disappointment. People are you know sad that I didn't get the points. Uh, or encouragement uh, at, at the performance and the improvement over the course of the last couple of weeks? Uh, I, I, you, definitely both emotions coming out of that. I, I guess I will go with encouragement at the performance just because of the turnaround we've seen from game one and game two to game three and game four. Uh, I, I think Giovanni Savarassi deserves a lot of credit for what he's been able to do with this club, how he's been able to look at his formation, his system, his setup, make adjustments there and find a way to start getting uh, something out of this group. I think after the first two games we were talking about, is this team going to go 0-5? Are, are they going to be coming back to Portland in, in April uh, with no points? And now they've been able to at least pick up a point in each of the last two games. And, and that's because they are playing like a completely different team. Um, I think there is a lot of d- disappointment coming out. Uh, of this game uh, because of how they conceded uh, twice conceded lead and ultimately conceded late uh, in the 84th minute to settle for the draw. I I think that's been an issue for the Timbers. You go back to the Caleb Porter era. That's been an issue for the Timbers for a long time. And and I think that adds to the disappointment that this team consistently seems to have trouble uh, grinding out results uh, when they hold the lead late in the game. But given what we saw in week one and week two, 
versus what we're seeing now, I, I think the stronger emotion for me is still encouragement. I'm going to start by responding to a, to the point about sort of giving up results late in games. Because I actually don't know if, if that's quite the right framing. So the Timbers going back to June 26, 2016, which was the last time the Timbers sort of flipped a result in their favor in the last 15 minutes of a game. The Timbers have dropped seven results uh, over the course of that time. That is, of course, a, a you know decent number, but over the course of most of two years. So it's not like that is... I mean, that by itself doesn't strike me as being super egregious. That might be a couple more than... Than, than you would want to see or or than would you you know you would expect but it's not sort of way over and above the you know any reasonable number the problem for me though is the fact that they have is the other column the number that they flipped in their favor uh in that period of time which is as i noted zero uh, when you when you're when you're only losing points late in games and you're not getting them back even if you're not losing a ton of points that net is still really bad, right? Yeah, you know, I I would have to go back and look, but I think they've they've netted something like negative twelve points or something like that uh, over the course of that uh, of those you know parts one entire season, then parts of two other seasons now. And yeah, I mean that those are real points that really adds up. Uh, and, and even if you know the, it's it's not a, a huge number in the loss column when you have nothing to counterbalance it in the plus column. It gets really damaging. <laughs> it gets really damaging. I mean, you're talking about uh, what would have been uh, what would have been certainly enough to to not only get the Timbers, uh, you know, a, a substantially stronger position in the Western Conference throughout the course of last year, but probably would have been enough uh, to get them into uh, or near uh, the Supporter Shield race in 2017. That would have been a very different season if they just sort of sort of netted that out at zero. Uh, and, and so, you know, that is the kind of stuff that, that, that has damaged the Timbers because they haven't been able to flip those results in their favor. Here, though, we saw another one go against them. They, they, they went into it with a 2 on the lead. Uh, they dropped it by a disappointing, to be sure, somewhat predictable in some ways concession. It's not like the, the fire had a ton of chances, but they had an awful lot of the play in that second half. And so it wasn't a huge shock by any means, to see the fire come up with, with that goal. So getting back to the original question, disappointment in the result or encouragement at the at, at the performance, that is all the, the disappointment category, right? And, and and it's sort of disappointment with a, with a little hint of dread that maybe this, the, this sort of nightmare the Timbers have been having in the last 15 minutes of games in dropping results without getting any back could be continuing. But I still think the encouragement wins out. And, and the reason I think the encouragement wins out is, is because we saw in this game, and we saw for an extended stretch in this game, the Timbers look like the Timbers we thought we were going to see from Giovanni Savarese, right? In, in that first half, they were very, very effective in pressing. They absolutely dominated the central midfield, just dominated it. Uh, and, and as a result of that, frankly, the Timbers were probably unlucky to be only up 1-0 by the time they went in uh, to the locker room at halftime. And Sebastian Blanco probably should have had a goal, absolutely should have had a goal. It was a great save and, and, and a great amount of luck for the fire uh, that the deflection went off the other side of the bar and came out uh, on, on what would have been 2-0, uh, likely going into halftime. And if it's 2-0 going into halftime, you know, are, they, are the fire able to put, uh, dig themselves out of that hole? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I, I, I think he, that was, would have been a seriously, you know, a much bigger mountain to climb in spite of the cliches that you hear once in a while uh, than, than the one goal deficits that they had throughout, uh, throughout most of the game. So I, I still think when you, when you look at the long term, when you consider the fact that we are in week four, that the team has come so far, so, so far. I mean, this team was so much better than the one that we saw three weeks ago against New York Red Bulls. When you see how far they've come, when you see now sort of the, this wasn't sort of some tactical gimmick. This wasn't, you know, something where that the Timbers did in one-off kind of thing that you don't think would be necessarily replicatable in other games. This is something that, that the Timbers can do. And that is a, a, an identity that the Timbers can establish that can make them very, very effective. And when you look at all of that, the progress they've made on it, I think by, I, I, I think it, it's easy for me to answer 
that encouragement at the performance should be the, the stronger emotion coming out of this game. Yes, the two points dropped are frustrating. Yes, this is a continuation of a really troubling and damaging trend. But look at, at the things that look like they're now going in the right direction. And I think that ultimately gets to the point uh, where it was a pretty darn encouraging day. Question from Nick and Michael. Is the Christmas tree, uh, the, the Christmas tree formation, the, the 4 3 two, one, here to stay? If so, what happens to Dyron Aspria and Andy Polo? Jamie? I, I mean, I think given how effective it's been kind of um, as a setup, uh, at least in the last two games, I, I do think that it's at least here to stay in that I, I think this is a formation that Geo is going to turn to a lot this year. I don't necessarily think, and I, I think based on what we've seen uh, um, from Zavaresi, I, I don't necessarily think he's going to go with the same formation game in and game out. And I would be interested to see if he goes with the same formation when the Timbers return home and might want to put a little bit more of an attack-minded approach, um, put that on the field uh, in a home game where they expect to walk away with three points. Um, but this is an effective formation. The, as we talked about, the their ability to dominate the central midfield, the way they performed in that first half, you, you can see who, why this formation was working for them. And, and I don't think, given the positive results that we've seen, that Savaresi is going to immediately move away from this. I, I think we're going to see a lot of this this year, um, but I don't think it's going to be the only formation. I, I do think that Polo and Esprio will get chances uh, with the Timbers in the starting lineup again this year. I think we'll see other formations but yeah uh if this is the formation a preferred formation that geo uses a lot that is i I think the big question what role does a player like polo a player like esprit end up playing and given that the timbers brought polo in to start um that's going to be a really interesting thing if he ends up spending most of his time on the bench and and even potentially pushing esprit then out of the 18 uh if they go that way you know i don't necessarily think it's here to stay uh, that's not to say that I don't think it's going to be a club in the bag, as you sort of suggest, but I, I doubt it's going to be the primary set. Uh, I, my guess is the Timbers will prefer to play with, you know, uh, you know, at least one more true winger in most instances over the course of the season. And especially when they're when they're sort of they, they have the system fully installed and, and when the team is really up and running, uh, I, I think they'll go back to. You know that more or less four two three one kind of kind of setup, and and pull one D mid out, and 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 add another winger in. But I also want to note that, that the Christmas trees, although I I do think it is fair to describe both games as being technically a Christmas tree, they were very different Christmas trees. Like one was a Doug fir, and the other one was a Noble fir, or something <laughs> like that. Uh, I mean, against Dallas, the, the the entire purpose of the Christmas tree, and the Christmas tree is a four three with three defensive midfielders. Four, four players on the back line, three defensive midfielders, two attacking midfielders, and then one striker, essentially. The purpose of the three uh, defensive midfielders, uh, sort of the defining characteristic of the Christmas tree in this regard, against FC Dallas, and this really was sort of the truer Christmas tree, was to protect the back line, right? They wanted to keep that block low. They wanted to be difficult to break down. They basically wanted, at all times, at least seven players they're in their blocks uh, for, for Dallas to try to break down. And it worked. Dallas, for the most part, could not break it down. Uh, they, they found one sort of uh, sliver of light in Roland Lamont. He, he had a really well-taken goal uh, toward the end of the first half. I mean, that, that there are always things you can point to on a goal, but by and large, that's a tip-your-cap kind of thing. He didn't have a lot of space. He buried one perfectly into the corner. Uh, and, you know, tip-your-cap. Uh, on that, but otherwise, Dallas was pretty, pretty well bottled up. Even when they they started getting some more chances toward the end of the game, when they really started to get, in many ways, reckless uh, in pushing numbers forward, they weren't great chances. It's not like they were creating chances at will. They were basically having to subsist off of half chances, and so uh, you know that was very effective. But the purpose of, of it was very, very clear. It was to protect that back line. And there was not going to be a lot of space. Those three defensive midfielders did not take a lot of liberties in getting forward. It was basically two sixes and an eight. Uh, and even that eight played a lot more like a six than, than he did an eight at times. Fast forward to a week later in Chicago, and it was a very different approach with that midfield three. Yes, there were still three sort of central midfielders, nominally defensive midfielders. Diego Chara, though, was the lone six. Christian Paredes. Uh, and Andres Flores were both very much box-to-box presences. 
uh, and box-to-box presences that got forward liberally. Uh, and, and instead of using those three to shield the back line, they used those three really to flood the central midfield. Uh, and they also brought Diego Valeri in there. They also brought Sebastian Blanco in there. And they just flooded that midfield, especially in the first half, with numbers. And, and as a result, they just crushed the fire in that phase of the game. Uh, the fire had had a hard time getting anything going because they just couldn't get past the Timbers midfield. And, and it created a number of good attacking sequences for the Timbers going forward, only a, a few of which sort of ripened into really good chances. But nonetheless, a few of them did ripen into, into really good chances. And as a result, the Timbers pretty well dominated that first half. You can even go so far, and, and I think it would be fair, and maybe even more fair, to describe what the Timbers did in, in, in Chicago as a 4-3-3. I mean, you can make the argument that uh, that wasn't really a Christmas tree. I would, I, I would quibble with that a little bit just because there wasn't really a 10 in that midfield three. I mean, now ordinarily when you think of a 4-3-3, one of those players in that middle three is going to be sort of your, your, your primary central playmaker. And that wasn't the case uh, with the Timbers in Chicago. So I do think it is fair to sit, to call it a four, three, two, one uh, and, and to stick with the Christmas tree nomenclature, but it was a very different Christmas tree than what the Timbers saw in Dallas and, and what they used in Dallas. So, you know, I, 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 I would bet we will see this again. Uh, I wouldn't even be surprised if we see it again this upcoming week. It makes some sense to get those additional numbers in central areas when you're going up against uh, Jason Kreiss's preferred formation, which is the diamond 442. There's some question as to whether he'll he'll stick with the diamond this next week uh, when after he, he in, in halftime of la- last weekend's game, he switched to a 4231 to good effect against the Red Bulls. So it's possible they go with that. Uh, in, in which case the Timbers would have some choices to make. Uh, but, you know, if they do run the diamond 4-4-2 and they do bring another player into that central midfield, uh, it may make some sense for the Timbers to stick with the Christmas tree against Orlando uh, and, and, and to try to match those numbers and see if they can't sort of beat a uh, crisis team at its own game. But, well, do I think it's going to be sort of the, the, the long-term approach? No, I think the Timbers have too much talent on the wings. Uh, I, I think... Uh, the Timbers are too committed, frankly, to to a guy like Andy Polo, basically to say, well, you were in the plans until the second game of the, you know, the third game of the season when we went to a different tactical setup. And then now, nah, whatever, you know, <laughs> all that money we, we paid for you just out the window. I don't think they're going to do that. I, I think we're going to see the four, two, three, one and, and variants thereof more often than we're going to see things like the Christmas tree. But is it a club in sub races bag? Is it one that he he's proven that he can use in a couple different ways? Yeah. Absolutely to both uh, to both points. Danny wants to know, people say Liam Ridgewell is a great backline organizer, but the backline seems to be operating better with Bill Tuiloma at left center back. What are the chances that Tuiloma owns the starting job for now, and how do you rate his organizational ability vis-a-vis Ridgewell? I, I think that Ridgewell is. I think that is fair to say that Ridgewell is a good backline organizer. I, I mean, he has a lot of experience, and he there's a reason why throughout the Caleb Porter era, they Caleb kept saying, you know, he's the best leader we have on this team. He he brings things to the field that we don't necessarily notice just from the stands watching. His ability to organize the back line, his ability to serve as a leader. That's something he has done for the Timbers throughout his time here. And we've seen overall, if you look at the his tenure here, we, we've seen that the Timbers are a better defensive team when Ridgewell's been in the lineup. Now, I think that Tuliloma has come in in, in a situation where Ridgewell, uh, not in the first game of the year, but the second game of the year had a poor performance uh, versus New York, looked like he was showing a lack of effort um, and, and led to, we believe, <laughs> Sovereign SC to make this change. Um, where he no longer had Ridgewell lineup. Tuliloma took advantage of that opportunity and has made the most of it. I, d- I don't know that he's a better, uh, has better organizational ability than Ridgewell. Um, I, I kind of doubt that. But he has done very well in, in his opportunities in the last two games on the back line. And, and I think based on that, he deserves the opportunity to continue getting starts. I, I don't think it's fair. And I, I think we you will see this coaches say this. Um, I don't think it's fair to take a player that's done well out of the lineup. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you're earning results. So I think Tully Loma will stay in the lineup. I think it will continue to get opportunities. Um, I, I don't know if that will stay that way for the entire season, but 
I don't know. And I just don't know if that comes down to the organizational ability. I think this comes down to bigger factors. When you look at what led to Ridgewell, ultimately, I think, um, not starting this last two games, it seemed to stem from that New York game where it wasn't really his ability to organize the back line. It was kind of a little bit of what we, at least from an outside perspective, what we saw in terms of his lack of effort on some of those goals. I mean, that's at least how we've interpreted it. Uh, from the outside looking in. <laughs> I, I certainly agree. And I, and I think not only is that how we've interpreted it, interpreted it from the outside looking in, I think that, that we've interpreted that based on pretty compelling evidence, yeah. <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to put a pin in this one a little bit. I basically just agree with everything you said as to the answer to Danny's uh, question. Um, so I'm going to put a pin in the Ridgewell discussion for just a minute. We will be back. Uh, but I want to hit one from David before we move on. And what do you, and, and David wants to know, what do you think sort of from the, the 10,000 foot perspective, what do you think has been the primary factor uh, in the Timbers improved performance over the course of the last three weeks? I mean, I, I think a lot of it is the change in, in formation, change in setup. I, I think that has made a huge difference for the team. I, I think when they needed it, as, as you pointed out, more of a defensive minded approach, more of uh, an approach where you're going to have central midfielders protecting the back line after a really poor performance in New York. That's what the formation gave them uh, in Dallas. I, I think on top of that, there's a sense of a change mentality with that week off, maybe even with the message sent with seeing Ridgewall, the team's captain, get benched after that New York game, maybe a little bit of uh, urgency coming in out of that. So I, I think it's a little bit of mentality, but, but I think a lot of it has to... I think Chavaresi deserves a lot of credit for what he's been able to do with the formation and the changes he's made, um, very specific changes to try to get more out of this team and address the areas that were most problematic. I'm, I'm going to raise your little bit of mentality to a lot of mentality. Uh, I, 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 and this is to take absolutely nothing away from, from Gio because I think his, his tactical changes have been good. The, the progress that the team has made in sort of adopting his tactical identity uh, is there. And, and so I don't want to take anything away from that because I, I think that's absolutely a major factor. But I think mentality is also a major, major factor. I mean, you look at the goals that the Timbers gave up in those first two games. And they were, I mean, they, they were goals with big, glaring mistakes, right? I mean, they, they were goals with with, with huge issues, that that you could see really obviously, and they many of them were frankly just not very good concessions. I mean, no concession is good, uh, but but I mean, it, it was pretty obvious uh, that there were pretty manifest lapses going on, both mentally and and sort of when it, when it comes to uh, being bought in uh, and putting in the effort to make the plays necessary to keep the other team off the board. I don't think even when you look at the concessions from the last couple of weeks, that's what you see. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything uh, about any of the three goals that the Timbers have given up where you say, oh, man, that is just a terrible mistake. There are always things that you can find. I mean, Diego Char, a little bit slow rotating over to Roland Lamar, right? Uh, you know, I mean, you, you know, there were a couple uh, tackles missed on, on, on Bastian uh, Schweinsteiger on, on the, the, the Fires' first goal. Christian Paredes absolutely should have stepped uh, to put some ball pressure or should have recognized where Schweinsteiger was setting up uh, earlier on, on, on the second goal. Uh, you know, Zarek Valentin should have done a better job of getting in position uh, to be competitive in, 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 uh, in, in, in contesting the header uh, on the second goal. I mean, there, that's not an exhaustive list by any means, but there are always things that you can find. But when you look at those kinds of mistakes, they're the, I mean, they're, they're the kinds of mistakes, frankly, that happen dozens of times in every single game and, and get punished once in a while, right? They're the kinds of things that, that are sort of the, the run-of-the-mill mistakes uh, that you obviously can't make too many of uh, and that good teams don't make too many of uh, and the Timbers need to make fewer of them. But they're the, they're, they're, they're the ordinary kind of mistakes that are not egregious. That's a big change. And frankly, I think that that's a lot about mentality. That's a lot about commitment. It's a lot about focus. The The goals that the Timbers were giving up uh, in many ways before uh, b- b- before the this turnaround began were not goals that you want to see professional teams give up. And, and I think that largely boils down to just a greater sense of commitment, greater focus from, from the group. Uh, and and I, I think you have to identify that, that then as a major factor. Uh, in, in what has driven this turnaround. 
back to Ridgewell. Ridgewell Gate, if you want to be terribly trite uh, in how uh, in how you dis- discuss <laughs> the most recent uh, issues with Liam. Uh, question from David, Patrick, and John all sort of had questions uh, around the same nucleus, uh, so I sort of distilled them into a couple. What do you think the chances are? We see Ridgewell on the field again, and if he's going to go, how would the Timbers go about getting rid of him? Jamie? I mean, it's been hard from the information that the Timbers have given us uh, to really draw too many conclusions um, because the general uh, sentiment we're getting from the club is he remains an important part of this part and component of, of this group. And this was a decision for this particular match. Uh, that's been the general line that we've been getting over the last two weeks. The repeated general line that we've yeah, been getting repeated. over the last two weeks. Uh, uh, I asked maybe five questions about ritual today. That was and that was the answer to eight. like three of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but the but the thing that Savarese did say today, he did sort of almost put a timeline on it. I mean, he didn't put a specific timeline on, but he said, "I expect him to be back on the field soon." I, I if he doesn't travel this weekend, maybe next home game. He started making a little bit of a. He started saying things that implied that Ridgewell might be back in some way or another in the coming weeks. Um, And so it'll be interesting to see if that happens. I I think it's hard for me to imagine right now, just given the last two performances, how they justify taking Tuli Loma out of the lineup for Ridgewell, uh, given Ridgewell's performance in New York and given how Tuli Loma has done in the last two games. Um, But it does seem like that is Sovereign's plan, uh, not necessarily to make that move, but at some point, to get Ridgewell back in, in some way or shape or form. Uh, I, I think ultimately if they feel like Tuli Loma is playing better, if that's the better option, if him with potentially Cascante backing up, it is an option that's going to work. I, I think that then that does become something they look at in the summer transfer window to see what they could potentially get. <laughs> if they tried to offload Ridgewell, I'm not sure what that would necessarily be at this point, but He's not a guy not in the long run you don't necessarily want on your roster with the salary cap hit he takes up. He might also just based on their options be a guy that ends up no matter what staying on the roster throughout the season and then at the end of the year uh, the Timbers moving on from him. So I, I think we have a lot to find out on how this is going to play out. I did find it interesting that Savaresi pointed uh, or at least indicated that he would be back on the field soon. And it'll be interesting to see how and when that happens, uh, given who they'd have to take out of the lineup for in order for that to occur. Um, but I, I, I think, I think there's a lot of possibilities. Really, I do think ultimately this is the last season we're going to probably see Ridgewell in Portland. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, if my memory serves me correctly, he's out of contract at the end yeah. of the year. I believe so. I. I, I'm trying to imagine what would have to happen for the Timbers to, to approach yeah. him uh, about a contract extension or, or, or about re-signing, and I can't frankly imagine it. Uh, I, I think that is an extremely remote uh, possibility. But, but I also think it's an, uh, a pretty remote possibility that we've seen the last of Ridgewell in a Timbers uniform. I do think we'll see him on the field again. Uh, the, the reality as far as moving on from him over the course of the season is not very promising for the Timbers if they, if that's what they wanted to do, uh, because they, because we're now in the season, uh, you know, the, you, there's the, there's the amnesty provision that, that teams can use one time per off season, but we're now into the season. So even if they still had, had it, even if they hadn't amnesty chance Myers, they couldn't now go back and do that and, and sort of just wipe uh, Ridgewell's salary uh, salary number off the salary cap. If they were to just sort of wave him and cut him, his salary number would stay on the salary cap, uh, and 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 they would they would have to pay him uh, not only have to pay him the the sort of cash the the money for the rest of the season, but he would burn the the salary cap just the same for the rest of the season. So, yeah, you are looking at if you want cap relief, you are looking at basically two options: a transfer or a trade. Which being the first option, uh, which I I also find to be a remote possibility. I don't think anybody is going to be anxious to take on a guy that has already shown some pretty significant symptoms of senioritis uh, and who is on a, a pretty big salary number, either by way uh, of trade within MLS or transfer outside of MLS. Uh, 
So I think that is pretty doubtful. Uh, and then the other thing is they could reach a buyout uh, with Ridgewell. Essentially, they could they they could tell you know they could reach an agreement with Ridgewell. Well, hey, you know we owe you. I'm making up numbers now. We owe you five hundred thousand dollars for the rest of the season. We'll pay you two fifty just to go away. Um, and that things like that happen uh, at times, but they typically happen when uh, a player wants to sort of get onto whatever his next job is going to be wants to get onto whatever, uh, whichever club, uh, he's going to next. And I think the, the reality for Liam Ridgewell is the, the, the club he's going to next is, is club med, right? I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's retirement. And so there's absolutely no reason why Ridgewell would want to do that. Right. He, he can do nothing, uh, and get all of his money. Why would he take less than all of his money, uh, for doing that same nothing? Uh, so, uh, you know, I think the, the simple, the, the far, by far the most likely reality uh, of the Ridgewell situation is the Timbers are stuck with it uh, for the season, or at least they're stuck with his salary cap hit. Uh, whether the, the well gets further poisoned and he stays with the team, I, I think is uh, a question that very much really needs to be seen uh, and, and is largely up to, up to Ridgewell. But whether the Timbers can find a way to 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 get his, his his salary cap his salary off the salary cap, I'm I'm pretty darn doubtful. Uh, but I do I do think we'll we'll see him again, and and when that happens again is going to be very much up to Liam, uh, and it's going to be very much dependent on what Ridgewell does uh, on the training field, what Ridgewell does uh, with the team, and and what he does when he gets a, another chance uh, to get on the field in a competitive game. But I agree with you entirely on how in the world do you take Bill Tuiloma off the field right now? Unless Ridgewell is just manifestly outperforming him in training. Unless Ridgewell really does show what he needs to show to sort of win that job back fair and square. Bill's done, Tuiloma's done absolutely everything that that Gio or you or I or Merritt Paulson or Gavin Wilkinson could have asked for him, asked of him in the last two games. And and he's a young player and a a player that, that has further upside. So I see no reason, if, I, if I'm Sabarese, uh, that absent Ridgewell really coming in and demonstrating that commitment, demonstrating he's over his case of senioritis, uh, and showing that he is a, a, a clear upgrade o- over Tuiloma right now, I don't see any reason to make the change. Uh, and, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see how it happens. We'll see if maybe Ridgewell first is back on the bench. We'll see if Ridgewell uh, is, is going gonna, is gonna to be straight back in the starting lineup, but I would have a hard time justifying it unless there is something very, very significant that we're just not seeing. A uh, question from me. Uh, this is one that I'm posing. Uh, the Timbers have been pretty mum uh, about why Ridgewell has been so, sort of in this little miniature, I'm going to facetiously call exile. Do you think it's fair to assume that there's more to it than just the New York performance? I mean, obviously the New York performance was poor, but do you think it's fair to assume there's more to it than that? It, it- I, I wouldn't be shocked if it was just the New York performance, at least for that initial game. Uh, I, I don't think, given how the team had played, if Savarese wanted to send a message, it, that would be a good message to send, that your captain, if, if he is going to show a lack of effort on, on a goal or two in, in a game where the team gets blown out for nothing, doesn't deserve to be in the lineup. I, I can absolutely see how that and that on itself would be enough to make Savarese make that decision. I also can see how it would be difficult for Savarese to justify putting Ridgewell back in the lineup after that initial uh, start from Tully Loma and the fact that he made MLS Team of the Week. I wouldn't at the same time be shocked if there's a little bit more to it, if there was a little bit of some sort of attitude or some sort of conversation uh, with Ridgewell and and Savarese behind the scenes that we don't know about. Um, Savarese said that... He knows it. I I know it. I, I mean, it feels as if there might be a little bit more to this than we fully understand. Um, but the New York thing alone to me doesn't, that to me, it seems like a reason enough to have at least benched Ridgewell in that initial game. Um, but I don't think we'll ever know for sure it, what else maybe is more to it behind the scenes. You know, I'm, I'm ready, ready, not ready. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it's it's a ridiculous enunciation of uh, <laughs> pronunciation of any word. Uh, I am ready with an R to start uh, to, to to pull my train choo choo uh, into speculation station and say, yeah, I think there's something more to it than than just the New York game. 
Uh, I don't, I agree with you that I don't know if we know what that is. Obviously, you know, Ridgewell didn't exactly get off on the most diplomatic foot with, with Savarese with his sort of uh, off season, you know, performance on, on, on English television. Uh, you're, you, but, you know, I mean, nonetheless, I mean, they, that probably just bygones being bygones. I think the second game shows me, and I'm, I'm fairly convinced of this, uh, that there is more to it than, than, than just that, that New York game. I mean, if it was just a matter of, hey, you can't mail it in and expect to keep your, your, your spot, that message was sent in Dallas, right? I mean, they, that was loud and clear uh, with the way that he was kept away from the team uh, on, on the trip to Dallas. And so I, I think if it was just that, we would have seen Ridwell back with the team. Uh, against New York. I think we would have seen him at least travel with the team. And, you know, even if even if you'd say, hey, we got to reward Tuiloma for a really good performance uh, in Dallas, so we're going to start him again, I certainly would have expected to see Liam traveling with the team to Chicago, uh, probably making the bench, but even if not making the bench, nonetheless, at least being with the team. He wasn't. <laughs> and, I, and I think that that tells me pretty significantly uh, that this really is a more than sort of you know, then, then meets the eye kind of, kind of situation. And maybe, maybe it's just a matter of that same lack of commitment had been showing up in training for over the course of multiple weeks. I mean, maybe it's not, you know, a matter of a big blow up or a bad, you know, attitude or any, any hostility necessarily, but just a matter of that commitment not being there over the course of uh, more than just the New York game. But it's clear to me that there is something more than just the New York game going on here. Uh, so, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I think you're right that it sounded like from, uh, Gio's comments today that, uh, the, that whatever this has been and the Timbers have been pretty mum about exactly what it has been, uh, which I think makes it harder for them to, to, you know, in any meaningful way say, you know, people are blowing this out of proportion. The reason people are blowing it out of proportion, if they, if that is the case is because they've been so mum about it. But it sounds like whatever it is and whatever it has been is about to come to an end. So we'll see. Uh, but if it continues for much longer, I, I mean, that only further would support uh, the idea that Ridgewell Gate uh, really is more than just a, a, about that shellacking uh, in New York. Okay, we've got a couple bits to hit on the injury report. Jamie Goldberg, you're the reporter here. You have credibility. Uh, Alvis Powell, what do we know about him? Yeah, it sounds like he was dealing with, a, I believe, a thigh injury of some sort. He was in full training today, though, and Savarese said he's fine and will be available for the weekend. All right. Powell will be back. Uh, David Guzman, what do we know? Uh, what is the update? We got a very specific, uh, <laughs> like more specific than I think I've ever seen on an injury like this. A uh, very specific update uh, from from both Costa Rica and Gio. What, it, what was that? Yeah, um, it sounds like it's a knee sprain uh, that he obviously uh, suffered while with Costa Rica. He's still rehabbing in Costa Rica uh, and it's going to continue to stay there for a little bit and, and then we'll finish, come back to Portland to finish his rehab. Um, obviously, that that's because he's going to the World Cup with Costa Rica later this year. So the national team has an interest in, in making sure he's uh, rehabbing like they want him uh, to. Uh <laughs> Both the national team and Geo basically said he'd be ready to go in 22 days. Uh, so we'll see if that countdown begins, how accurate it is. I went with three to four weeks in, in my post. But <laughs> That's if, very charitable of you. If we want to be on the dot, we'll have to check it in exactly 22 days from now and see if he's back. I'm going to put like a thing on my calendar for <laughs> April 25th. Uh, just, to, just to like, you know, raise a stink if he is not back in full training exactly on April 25th. I don't want April 24th. I don't want April 26th. I want April 25th uh, that we hear he is back full go uh, back in the team. Um, yeah, that was weird. But I guess, you know, hey, we knock them when, when they're big. I'm not going to knock them for being specific, even if it's a little bit funny. Uh, okay, Timbers at Orlando. That's Sunday, 1 o'clock. It's an ESPN game. Uh, if you don't know uh, where to find it, as noted, Alvis Powell will, will be back. Uh, Liam Ridgewell. We'll see. Watch your social media pages, folks, um, and all that. So let's get some more Timbers questions here before we move to the second, the the back end uh, of this Let's Play 2 doubleheader. Uh, Shrek wants to know, before we get there, will Marco Farfan be the regular starter at left back by the end of the season? And 
similarly, uh, how do you think Christian Paredes will, will, will you know go on that kind of arc in central midfield? Will he be a regular starter by the end of the season? Jamie Goldberg, what are your calls on that? I'm going to call that Marco will be a regular starter by the end of the season. I, I think that he's shown enough. He, he's still going to have these up and down performances. He's still young, but I, I think he has the the upside uh, that the team wants. Um, and they're going to have to accept that he's going to have some up and down in performances uh, at his, although he said today he didn't consider himself a young player at 19, but I will say at the young age right. of 19, definitely still a young player, young man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At the young age of 19, I think we can expect he's going to have some up and down performances, but I think that's something the Timbers are just going to have to deal with. And I, I think something like this last game, he shows that he can come back. He can take a few bad performances, take a week off where he wasn't in the starting lineup and come back and have a good performance and, and improve and learn from that. And so I, I think that this is, since I, I don't want to be vague and just be wishy-washy about it, I'm going to say yes. I, I think this is a season that he's going to, uh, claim that spot um, before the end of the year. Uh, on Paredes, I, I think that as long as Gio continues doing this Christmas tree formation, I think he's going to be the starting lineup, and I, I think he's earned that. I, I think when Guzman comes back and is at full health, there's going to be a little bit of a, more of a question there. I, I do think Paredes is going to have a lot of uh, lots of opportunities to try to earn that spot this year because Guzman obviously is currently injured. Then we'll go away to the World Cup. Even if the Timbers go back to formation with only two defensive midfielders, he's going to get a lot of starts. Um, I, I think we've talked about Guzman's performance early in, early in this year not being um, necessarily the best, but I do think he's a guy the Timbers still expect to start. So I, I think overall it's going to be a little bit harder for Predators to maybe outright win that position depend if the Timbers are going with a formation with only two defensive midfielders, but I do expect him to get a lot of playing time this year. I disagree with you 100%. Okay. Uh, and, and by that, I mean, I disagree with you on both. Uh, I, I think Marco will not be the regular starter by the, at left back by the end of the season, but I think he will be next season. Uh, nonetheless, I think, you know, Farfan will get, you know, not only sort of in this first part of the season, like, like frankly, like he did last year. Uh, but I think he will also continue to get some starts uh, at, at left back and will get to continue to get a, a decent number of minutes. I think they'll do a better job of that this year than they did last year. Uh, but I don't think he'll be the regular starter. I think Vitas will, will earn that, that spot back uh, over the course of the next few weeks, and he will, by and large, be the starter at left back over the course of the season. But I do think Farfan will be the starter at left back uh, next, starting next season, uh, and I, wouldn't even, I would be not surprised. Uh, actually, if Vitas moves on from the, the, the Timbers at the end of this year. Uh, as for Christian Paredes, uh, I think he will be the, the starter in, in central midfield uh, by the end of the season. I have been very impressed uh, thus far with, with his performances. I think he has every bit the look of, even at 19 year, years old, a, a, a player that you can start. Uh, as an eight in MLS games, I think he has uh, every bit the look of a player that will continue to grow if he's given those those regular minutes. Uh, and I think the Timbers will very much want to do that. And, and one of the ways, and if you want to take a hot take out of this episode, this, this is this is probably it. One of the ways when, in, that that may happen is, you know, even if David Guzman comes back, gets the spot back before he goes to the World Cup and, 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 and you know, gets in a little bit better for him. If he goes to the World Cup and plays well, the Timbers are going to have transfer interest on him. Uh, and if Paredes, uh, over the course of that World Cup, continues to grow, continues to progress, and, and, and plays as well, uh, a, a, you know, as well and better uh, even than he has to date, the Timbers would be crazy not to listen uh, to that that transfer interest. Uh, that that is a guy uh, that can sort of allow the Timbers not only to seize the opportunity that they have with Paredes, but also to seize an opportunity to maybe to make a profit off of somebody like David Guzman. And so. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, in fact, I'll go so far as to say I do think that Paredes will win uh, a spot in central midfield uh, by the end of the season. Malcolm wants to know, are there any rules as to which as to which Timbers can play for T2? The short answer is no. Uh, well, I mean, the short answer is, of course, yes. The long answer is no. Uh, and, and the reason <laughs> the, 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 the long answer, I suppose, is no is that any any first teamer can essentially be loaned down to uh, T2 for at least a certain for sort of a, a short period of time. So whether it's a rehab assignment 
uh, for a guy who's coming back off of uh, off of an injury. Uh, I thought there was maybe a chance that we would see Vitas do one of those uh, in Salt Lake uh, over over the weekend. He did not. He was with the first team, so he just jumped right back in. Uh, but so you can you can do it that way. It can be a guy that you're looking just to get minutes. If you haven't been able to get uh, get a guy the, the minutes that you want to get him, you, you you can loan him down. It wouldn't shock me if even somebody like Julio Cascante, if he's not able to get into uh, maybe you know maybe Liam Ridwell does come out, come out of his exile uh, this next weekend, and the Timbers decide you know what we're going to send uh, Julio Cascante to. I'm trying to remember whether it's Oklahoma City or Tulsa. Where the where T two is on the weekend, they're at one of the midweek and the other in, in, weekend, and they're both in the state of Oklahoma. So I don't know, uh, but it's one of the two nonetheless. Uh, so maybe they send somebody like Julio Cascante and say, "Hey, we want to get you ninety minutes uh, with T two, just to keep you in shape, just to keep you in rhythm, uh, because we think you're you're going to be somebody who we will be calling on for the first team at some point, and so we want to keep you uh, in, in good form." So you can do that. Uh, there are some players that get loaned down sort of on a, on a, a, a longer basis. Uh, but look, I mean, you know, Jeremy Abobasi scored a goal, uh, for T2 this last weekend. Uh, but expect him to, to make a lot of starts, uh, for T2, even though he is a, a first team player, Eric Williamson, I, I think will be the same kind of thing. He was on the bench for the first team this weekend. Uh, but that's probably going to be the exception and not the rule. He's probably going to spend a good amount of his time down at T2. Victor Arboleda might be a guy that you see bounce, uh, back and forth quite a bit. Uh, so all of that is, is pretty, pretty liberal, pretty free, uh, in how that, that, that is able to happen. There are rules, but, but the Timbers have a good amount of liberty, uh, with which to move players, uh, from the first team down to the second team. There are a lot more rules when it's, when it's about going the other way. when it's about T2 players getting called up to the first team, that's a, a whole nother can of worms. We saw a little bit of that. Uh, in the game at Vancouver last year, in which Jeremy Abobasi scored a goal and had an assist on the way to sort of a season-turning 2-1 win uh, for the Timbers, but they called up Harold Hansen and I think Augustine Williams as well, if my memory is good, which it sometimes is, uh, in, in, in that game. But that does have a bunch of rules as to when you can do that uh, and on what basis and for what kinds of games. Matt wants to know, any idea whether or not a Milano sale will bring the Timbers any money or whether they'll just let his contract expire. Jamie Goldberg, what do you think? What is your sort of read of the land uh, when, when it comes to Milano right now? Is this just going to be an entirely sunk cost or do you see uh, him rebuilding some of his value at Estudiantes? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we've seen him start to rebuild some of his value. Um, and I, I think obviously the Timbers would love to get a sale uh, and not just let his contract expire and recoup some of that money. I, I think they ultimately will. Um, I, I think we've seen a little bit from him, uh, at least recently, and I think it will ultimately lead to sale. I think the Timbers will ultimately also ha- lose a lot of money on, on their initial deal. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to get the $5 million back, right? <laughs> uh, but look, I mean, you know, Milano is has been sort of rebuilding value over the course of the spring. Uh, I remember there was a point over the winter uh, in which there were reports out of uh, Estudiantes that indicated that Milano was basically on the outs, that they didn't expect him to play much of a part uh, over the course of the season. Well, that's not actually happened at all. Uh, he's become a regular starter. He's starting all their Copa Liber- uh, Libertadores. Oh my gosh, I just can't. First it was Weddy. Now I can't say uh, Libertadores. Uh, but nonetheless, he, he's been starting all, all of their Copa games. Uh, he When he's not sort of being imminently, uh, you know, called up for a a Copa game midweek. He's been starting regularly uh, in the Super League games down, down in Argentina for uh, Estudiantes, who are having a solid, not very spectacular season. Uh, but he's been not only playing, but starting regularly. Uh, and, and he's been contributing. He's got a couple assists. I think he scored four goals or so on the season and still not all that many minutes because he's only sort of in the last month or, or, or two taken over that starting spot. And you can certainly see a scenario in which if he gets a few more goals and a, and, and a few more assists, uh, as the season finishes out, and they got a ton of games yet to play because they do have Copa games uh, to, to to navigate. That I mean, if not if not Estudiantes, then somebody else uh, is going to be pretty interested uh, in in bringing him in. And, and so, yeah, you can absolutely see, and I and I do think it's it's likely uh, that the Timbers are going to be able to get something for him, whether that's five hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars or two million dollars. I really have no idea right now. Uh, but look, I mean, the guy I think is only 24, 25 years old. Uh, and if he really does sort of have a good season, 
uh, down in uh, in Argentina for Estudiantes, uh, I think you'll see some folks that are that are willing to pay to pay for that. I am doubtful that'll be within MLS, but hey, you never know. You never know. Um, where are we at? Owen wants to know. Oh, little predictions time. Season long predictions time. Who's going to score more goals for the Timbers? Sebastian Blanco or Fernando Adi? I think Fernando Adi is going to score more goals. And I think if he doesn't, that's going to be a bit of a disappointment for the Timbers. Obviously, there's a chance that Adi ends up giving away to Samuel Armenteros and we see a different forward on the field. But if Adi is the starting forward for this team, uh, I think the expectation is he's going to score more goals than Blanco. I, I think Blanco's benefiting right now from the formation um, that the Timbers are using and the level of freedom he's having, not really playing as a true winger. I think he's getting a lot of openings and opportunities to score and provide assists. And I think he also, a second year in the league, is clearly looking more comfortable and confident. And so I think this could be a year where he scored eight goals last year. He could certainly contribute more this year and be more productive. But ultimately, I'm expecting Audi uh, to, to get in his goal scoring form and, and be the one who of those two who scores more goals this year. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll have to see what happens, but I'm expecting Audi to get in his goal scoring form or the Timbers are going to have to make a change at that forward position. Cause you need your forward to score goals. I expect Audi to get into his goal scoring form, uh, as well. And I think he's going to get his over the course of the season. I definitely think it'll be another double digit goal season for Fernando Audi, notwithstanding the slow start, but I still think you're a hundred percent wrong, Jamie Goldberg. <laughs> Uh, in spite of all the well-articulated reasons you, you just identified, look, what I've seen from Sebastian Blanco thus far, I think he has a, a very meaningful opportunity to be a bona fide, absolute, no questions asked star for the Timbers this year. Uh, and so I'm going to say that Blanco is going to have an outstanding year, both in goals and assists. Uh, he's going to be in in sort of uh, first uh, best 11 uh, kind of discussion. Uh, and, and I think Blanco will be the Timbers' leading goal scorer at the end of the year. That's probably one that's going to look pretty stupid by the end of the year. So, you know, I mean, to the extent you enjoy dunking on me, that, that that's one you might want to bookmark. Um, Thorns 3, Red Stars 2. Uh, Lindsay Horan uh, got, got things going, but Christine Sinclair uh, continued them and then finished them off with a brace. Our predictions, Jamie, you called a 2-1 win with a Lindsay Horan brace. Ooh, so close. Uh, and then I called a 1-1 draw. Uh, with an Emily Sonic goal. Uh, Jamie, go ahead and give out the points once again. <laughs> well, I did. And maybe, maybe I was thinking too far ahead when I gave my points last time. But I am happy that I called both results correctly. And I even got a little bit of the side bet yeah. in there. So that was a good pretty, week for you. You got, you got hey, hey, you got none of the side bet in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get, she scored one. So we'll yeah, you, we'll I don't get you, any. We'll, We'll give you the, the same kind of credit I got for yeah. uh, for calling the Timber scoring two. Goals. I get I get some credit for that. Okay. Um, uh, fair enough. Are, yeah. are you going to make a claim to the to your one one draw, getting any any points? No, no that that okay. just sounds zero percent right. Yeah, so that's a zero, um, and it was three two and a Haran brace. Um, man, I gave me so many points last time, but this is actually a better prediction. I, I I really think you you sort of uh, got got a little out over your skis on on giving yourself a bunch of points for the the Timbers draw. Um, Fine, I'll give myself because this is this is like the money maker for you. I know. Well, I'm just gonna give myself 17 points again. We're just gonna do okay. 17 across the board just to to make you feel a little better that I don't give myself way more on this one and Fair you feel so bad about the week. Yeah, I, I think you overvalued the, your Timbers prediction, probably undervalued your Thorns prediction. All works out in the end. Uh, so I, I'm good with that. Good, Yeah, good week for you, uh, though. I, you know, no, no bones about that. Very good week. Um, a win and a loss from this season opening road trip. Uh, loss at North Carolina, of course. The win uh, at Chicago. What do you think about the performances as a whole? Do you think this is the kind of stuff that the Thorns just need to do while they're dealing with these absences? Uh, and, and, and you think it's mission accomplished in that regard? Or are you more of the mindset that, hey, this is a supporter shield or supporter shield? Goodness gracious. Um, this transition is, is harder going from talking about one subject to a different subject. That kind of transition is harder than people giving credit. <laughs> No, it's not. I'm actually just kind of a dope. Um, but 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 anyway, I mean, you know, this is sort of a, a shield contending team. 
What did, I mean, the, the, you know, a win and, and a loss on the road isn't anything to, to celebrate. Where do you come down sort of on that spectrum? I mean, I, I'm pretty happy about this. I, I expected them to lose in North Carolina. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I expected them to win in Chicago, mostly because Chicago had uh, probably more absences than the Thorns. But but the Thorns are missing their international players. And on top of that, they're also missing Tobin Heath and they're missing Emily Menges right now. Uh, this is a very depleted team. Uh, they still haven't got officially got their new striker to come in. Um, they've had the injury, injury to Caitlin Ford. This team right now, I think just as you said, they just need to kind of stay above water until they get the the group in, the real lineup in, and then hopefully start doing some real damage at that point. Um, so I am actually pretty happy uh, with these opening two games. I think if we if they can get Mengus back and Heath back for na- heading into the home opener, which I think we'll have a better idea on that next week, uh, but that's going to put them in a much better position. Uh, given the absences they had, I, I think this is a pre- they have to be pretty happy with this uh, two-game stretch. Yeah, I'm a hard grader. Uh, you know, in, in my class, a C is actually average. I'm that <laughs> professor that everybody hated. Um, I would give him a good solid B uh, for, for the way the, the, the road trip went. Um, this is exactly, to me, the, the kind of stuff that, that they need to do, that they need to be able to grind out. And I would have been over the moon if they had been able to grind out an A. Uh, I think that would have been unreasonable to, to expect. But nonetheless, they get a good solid B uh, for, for, the, for the way they got through the, the, these couple games to start the season. I agree with you uh, that the Red Stars were as or more depleted uh, than the Thorns. But it, it's still an away game. Uh, it, it's still a Thorns team that... We were looking at a week ago saying, how in the heck are they going to score goals? Uh, and they went out and scored three. And, and they sort of ground their way in, in, into getting those three goals and pulling out uh, that result. So, yeah, good solid B. I think that's something that they can be really pleased with uh, and, and that they can build off of now with the week off. Maybe getting a little bit healthier over the course of, uh, of these couple of weeks and, and, and leading into the home opener on the 15th. Uh, speaking of those three goals... One of the things that the Thorns really did in, the, in this game at Chicago, Richard Farley actually just released uh, an article talking in depth about this moments before uh, this podcast. Uh, but they, they really, really just cranked the press up to uh, essentially 11 at times. Do you think that kind of a high press? Do you think sort of trying to create opportunities through defensive disruption, creating the attack through defensive disruption, is the way they're going to have to go about, you know, bolstering the attack given these early season absences? Is this going to be the the the, the recipe uh, for Mark Parsons and the Thorns for these next few weeks? I think it could be. I, I think they have such a good defensive unit. They're good at being disruptive uh, defensively. I, I think they have attackers that can can be that play defensively. I, I think, it, yeah, I, I think it's a, a formula that could work while they're still waiting. Um, on getting some more players in the lineup. I think we might see um, different approaches depending on what the situation is, who they're playing, whether away or home. Uh, but yeah, it, it was effective uh, in this game. And I think it is something that we could see going forward. I, I think especially now that they're going to be coming back home, uh, I think we're likely to see a good amount of it yeah. at Providence Park. Uh, that kind of front foot defending uh, can be can can be huge when you are missing a couple of the players that are that are sort of the the, the players that allow you to break down defenses and, and they are I mean look they they just don't break down defenses nearly as well when they don't have Tobin Heath when they don't have a Haley Rosso when they don't have you know a a, a sort of tried and true number nine uh, and, and that's just the reality so you've got to find another way and, and I think this is a way that makes an awful lot of sense with the team as constituted. Uh, I, I think it makes an awful lot of sense when you've got uh, players like Onomono, when you've got players like Midge Purse uh, at wingback. It makes sense to, to go about things in this way because they're just not going to be able to put together the sequences that we maybe saw uh, last year that when, when they were a bit more selective in how they went about uh, pressing and defense. And so, yeah, you find a way. And this is exactly what we were talking about with Parsons a couple weeks ago when we were talking about are they going to be able to find a way to do this, is Mark going to be able to come up with a formula? And I think this is sort of the the first attempt at an answer uh, to that. And I think it's a pretty darn good attempt uh, at that answer. So uh, I think we'll see more of it uh, over the course of the next few weeks. And, and I'm certainly interested in doing so. Okay, 
Predictions, Timbers at Orlando City. Before we can get to the Thorns uh, against Orlando at home, that'll be next week's show, uh, we got to talk about the Timbers visiting Orlando uh, on the road. Jamie, what do you see happening in this one? I'm going to predict another draw. Uh, I think the Timbers have shown, as we talked about, a lot of improvement in recent weeks. I, I think they're going to get a result here, but I, I'm not confident they're going to find that win uh, just yet. Uh, I'm going to p- predict another 2-2 draw. Um, and Valeri, he got on the board last week. Maybe this will be the week he has a big game. I'm going to predict a Valeri goal and, a, and an assist. I'm going to say a draw as well. But I think this one's going to be an absolute shootout. I think this is going to be wild. And and I, I'm saying that mostly because Orlando City has not been stopping, well, anybody from scoring. Uh, so I think it's going to be a 3-3 draw. This is an Orlando City that's got some pretty darn compelling weapons. Uh, when you talk about Dom Dwyer, you talk about Justin Mira, uh, Just Way Coleman uh, ha- had a nice uh, performance and, and, and ultimately got the winner uh, on, on the weekend. It's he, we very well could see him. Uh, in the lineup for Orlando City. This is a team that can attack, but my goodness, I'm not convinced that they're a team that can stop anybody. So I'm going to say 3-3 draw. And going back to our discussion about Fernando Adi, I think he gets his goal-scoring pants on this week. I think he comes away with one of his signature Fernando Adi braces. Okay, that's all. We're done. Uh, we are Soccer Made in Portland, sitting just on the other side of the internet from me. That voice is Jamie Goldberg. I'm Chris Reifer. You can find her uh, all the time at OregonLive.com. You can find me at Stumptown Footy. You can find us uh, every week at OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy, or you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, Thank you all, as always, for your questions uh, and also for tuning in. Uh, Enjoy the Timbers visit to Orlando City, uh, and we will be back next week to discuss that and much, much more uh, as we look into April. Until then, as always, take care.